Well, hello, everyone. I hope your week is going well, um, that you've been able to find some time this week to rest and, and uh, find refreshment as you've been reading through Colossians chapter 2. One of our new weekly rhythms for this foreseeable future is to pre-record my messages before Sunday so that you can listen to them and, and hopefully come on Sunday ready to discuss what God has been teaching you and speaking to you during this week. I think it's good for us to spend our time on Sunday in more of a dialogue format because our community is filled with people who have good thoughts and important things to say that I think will benefit us all. So as much as um, I like to hear myself talk, I think it's just healthier for our community to hear from other voices. So hopefully you're listening to this prior to Sunday and you will be able to come with a thought or two to share with the rest of us. Okay, we are in a four-week conversation that we're calling Firm Foundations. This conversation is rooted in the letter to the Colossians. And our goal um, during this time is to dive deeper into our faith in Jesus together. But we know that in order to do that, we have to establish some firm foundations in our everyday lives. There are four firm foundations that Paul writes about to this young church in Colossae. Each one is seen in the four chapters. Chapter one, which we talked about last week, is thankfulness. Chapter two, what we're going to dive into um, today, and you've been seen hopefully this week is all about freedom. Chapter three is holiness. Chapter four is obedience. And according to Paul, these four firm foundations are fundamental into what he is calling this young church to in the first century and to what he's calling all Jesus followers to today, which is this, which is spiritual maturity in Jesus Christ. So as important as these firm foundations are for our faith, I would argue that they fall flat if we don't get practical with them. And I just think the best way to get practical with them is through spiritual rhythms that we see Jesus engaging with every single day in the Gospels. These rhythms are the reading of scripture, prayer, worship, stillness, and fasting. And so I hope you were able to utilize our Firm Foundations resource packet this week. We sent it out. If you don't have it, please let us know. We'll get it to you. Um, it's just so good. It's so helpful, and it's meant to walk you through the basic spiritual rhythms we are practicing together. We wanted to give you something. We wanted to put something in your hand, um, especially with the current events going on right now in the world. There's no better time than for us to dig deep together. Um, so I'm confident that it will be valuable and, and useful for you, not to just, you know, today or tomorrow or the weeks come, but hopefully in the years ahead, this will be a resource that you can look back on and something that has proven helpful for you. Okay, we're in Colossians chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, you can open up with me. Or if you're driving, don't do that. Just listen. I'll read it over you. So verse 1, here we go. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea and for all of those who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged. I love that. This is what Paul's writing. He gets to it right away. He says, I'm writing because I want to encourage your heart and join together in love so that they may have all the riches and complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 4, I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, 
and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the word rather than Christ, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised with him, with a circumcision not done by hands, but by putting off the body of flesh. In the circumcision of Christ, when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all of our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt, which is obligations, that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in matter of festival or new moon or a Sabbath day. There are a shadow of what is to come. The substance, though, is Christ. Let no one condemn you by delighting in aesthetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons grows with growth from God. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. Okay, firm foundations that, that, that Paul is speaking to in chapter 2, as I already mentioned, I want to unpack together, is freedom. In the English language, freedom can mean a lot of things, but typically when we use the word freedom, we are talking about living a life without limitations. Something that I would use to say growing up to justify my desire to live without limitations is this. And maybe you said it yourself, this is a free country, which is true, right? Maybe I, maybe I said that phrase to my parents when they told me to clean my room. Maybe I said it to my teachers when they gave me a homework assignment. I think I might have even said it to the police officer who caught me toilet papering my friend's house. But what, what sets our country apart from, from so many other countries is our democracy, is freedom of speech, it's freedom of religion, and it's freedom to do what your heart so desires. And I don't want to take anything from that. We live in the land of opportunity, which is a direct result of freedom. So freedom is something that I'm grateful for. It's something that I, I don't take for granted by any means. But typically, when we think of freedom from a personal sense, we relate to being able to do Anything we want to do, right? Freedom means I get to do what I want to do. So for me, freedom was all about living my way, and no one had the right to tell me how to live. And true in what we see here, and so when like most of us think of freedom, we're thinking about a life of pleasure. We're thinking about life that goes fast. We're thinking about all exploring our, our own passions and desires and dreams. Again, which is great. I don't want to tell you not to do those things, but we need to understand that the way that scripture, particularly Paul, 
talks about freedom and defines it is very different than that. And so, so we become the people that God wants us to become. That is what scripture does with freedom. It's all about becoming like Christ. So remember, it was Paul who said this, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. In other words, what Paul is saying is that you're free to do whatever you want, but that doesn't mean that doing those things is actually good for you. And Paul thinks about freedom, not in terms of life without limitations, but of wholeness and calling. And he says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, he's talking to a different church here. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So you see, he's distinguishing the difference. How I would typically think about freedom is life without limitations. How Paul thinks about freedom is in regards to wholeness and calling. And so just before Paul writes this rebuke to this church in Galatia, he just got done saying this, and this is found in, um, in a little bit earlier. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Okay, so according to Paul, freedom can lead to two different places. It can lead you to walking with God or it can lead you to walking life without God. Freedom that walks with God and freedom that walks without God may look like the same thing from the exterior or it may look enticing from the distance, but it is not. Paul wants us to understand that freedom in Christ is all about living an entirely new life. It has nothing to do with your old way of living. So if you want to be free, you must walk away from what is old. And Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So true freedom that leads to life can only be found in intimacy with Jesus. This is what Paul wants us to see. Any other type of freedom that is discovered away from Jesus is actually not freedom. It is actually captivity for your soul. And so scripture defines freedom as, as one that's done in your choices. You have the freedom to do what you want to do with your life. Yes, and absolutely. So Paul says, use that freedom to choose Jesus. Use your freedom to walk away from what burdens your soul and use your freedom to choose to live the abundant life that Jesus had set out for you. Freedom is your choice. You can use your freedom in Christ to do whatever you want to do, or you can use your freedom to follow Jesus. And the encouragement for us is to recognize what is good for me. What's good for my soul? And more importantly, to realize what is not good for my soul. So here in chapter 2, I see Paul giving us three things that we are free from. Notice my choice of words here. Not free to do, but free from. Number one, he says, you are free from captivity. And we see that in verse 8. Next, he says, you are free from outdated religion in verse 11. And number three, he says, you are free from self-righteousness, which we see in verses 18 and verse 20. So let me expound on each of these very quickly. Number one, you are free from captivity. Verse eight, he says, be careful 
that no one takes you captive. Be careful that no one takes you captive. Those are important words there. In Paul's writing, he regularly, in in his mind, he goes back and remembers the story of the Israelites to help him point Jesus out, to help him point others to Jesus. Why? Because the story of the Israelites, this is very important as it's told in the book of Exodus, is actually the story of all of us. If you want to know what's inside of you, if you want to know about your heart's tendencies, if you want to know about the way that you think, go read the Israelite story in the book of Exodus. You will see yourself in them. Israel were the people of God. They were God's chosen nation, not in a patriotic way, but in a redemptive way. It's a saving story. It's God's love story. We see how much he loves humanity by his expression over the nation of Israel. So God loved Israel and never turned his back on them, even when they turned their backs on him. One, you know, to to the most, this this is a difficult period in the life of Israel. This, This time that we see was one of the most difficult times in the life of Israel when they were put into captivity in Egypt under the authority of Pharaoh. You most likely are familiar with the story, so I won't do too much work here. But what I want to say is this. God's heart broke for Israel when they were living in captivity. So he sent them a leader in Moses to free them, which Moses did. Not only did he free them, but God also prepared a new land for them to go and live in. But the journey to that land was a long one. It was 40 years. Not because it took 40 years for them to get to the new land, but because it took 40 years for the Israelites to fully realize that freedom is a better life than captivity. The Israelites had become so comfortable in captivity that all their needs were met. Um, They knew what to expect from the day to day. Life was predictable. And there's something about the human soul that wants to be comfortable. There's something about the human soul that that craves predictability. We don't like to live in the unknown. And this is where the Israelites lived. And so freedom for them challenged everything that they had come to know and want. They had to go through a process of discovery and to realize the parts of themselves that needed to die in Egypt so that they could live free in the land that God had prepared for them. And here's what I want to say to you today. You must go through the same process. Yes, we all want freedom. I don't think any of us would say we don't want to live in freedom. We want freedom, but freedom will come with a cost. It will require you to walk away from something that's holding your soul captive. And I don't know what that is for you, but my hope is that you will figure that out for yourself, that you will pay attention to the way you are living your life Um, and and as hard as it will be, walk away from Egypt and go through the process of discovering freedom. Hopefully, that process won't take 40 years for you. Hopefully, that will be a quicker process than the Israelites, but we must know it will not be easy. There will be a cost to it. There will be a journey for it, and we need to keep on that journey. Number two, you are free from outdated religion. We see this in in verse 
11. In verse 11, Paul uses the tradition of circumcision to teach a revolutionary truth to the community of people that lived in a Jewish culture. This is where this church lit, it was. It, it was a Jewish culture and could easily compare themselves to the religious. And to think to themselves, man, if we want to be close to God, then we have to do this or we have to do that. And so here Paul says to them, you don't have to do anything to be in right standings with God. You don't have to put the you don't have to put the boys under the knife. Sorry, I know that's a graphic image, but you don't have to do anything. The only thing that matters is your baptism in Christ. So when you put your faith in Jesus and were baptized into new life, your union with Christ is sealed for eternity. There is no need to have a faith that orbits around tradition or practice. Not that those things are bad, by the way, but that you have to come to believe that those things, if you believe that they get you in with God, your practice makes you right with God, then you're not living in freedom. You are, in fact, burdened by religion. And there's so many people um, who their hearts want Christ, their hearts want freedom, but in reality, they are burdened by religion. And, and so what does this mean for you today? I think it means this. Your faith in Jesus is not supposed to be a burden that you carry. Think about that for a second. Your faith in Jesus is not supposed to be a burden that you carry. And one way I think that you can identify whether or not your faith in Jesus is a burden to you is by asking yourself a question. Do I long to spend time with Jesus? Answer that question honestly. If your answer is yes, then you are on the right path. You're doing great. Keep seeing, seeking intimacy with Jesus. But if you answer no to that question, then if I were you, I would ask myself another question. And that's this. Why don't I want to spend time with Jesus? Don't be afraid to ask that question. Why do I want, why do I not want to spend time with Jesus? You must ask this question if you want freedom from outdated religion. And my hunch is that spending time with Jesus isn't all that enjoyable for you because it's just another thing to do. You have so much going on. You're busy and, and time with Jesus just feels like another thing on your calendar. And if you can relate, then it's time to allow Jesus into that place and to start fresh today, getting to know him for him. You can do that by just being with him for 15 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, five minutes a day, whatever it is, just start somewhere. And my encouragement to you is to just sit, is to sit still in his presence. Learn to practice the presence of God. Don't read the Bible. Don't pray. Put your phone away. Just be with him and get to know him for yourself. And I want to encourage you not to feel guilty about this. You are free from outdated religion. Jesus is more than enough. You can get to know Jesus without your Bible. I know that's a, that's a big statement there, but here, guess what? The early church did as well. They didn't have the New Testament as they were following Jesus. We can get to know Jesus because the Spirit of God lives inside of us. We can get to know him without our Bible. So if, if you are burned out 
on religion. The call is to step into a relationship with Jesus. And we do that by just spending time with him and getting to know him. And number three, you are free from self-righteousness. In verse 16 and verse 20, Paul says, and I'm summarizing, don't let anyone's thoughts about how you live your faith affect you and don't let them impose what they do onto you. And Paul goes on to use um, a couple different words. He says like judgment and condemn, um, strong words, obviously, but necessary words. But what Paul is saying is that people will come into your life and tell you all the things that you're doing wrong and how they have a better way of living. Aren't those people fun to be around, by the way? Where they can just point out all the things you're doing wrong and, and tell you about all the things that they're doing that is much better. Now, they may not say it um, by their words, but their demeanor and their actions may be shouting it at you, right? Paul says to us, watch out for these kinds of people because they don't know the real Jesus. Tough words, I know, but we have to understand this. Self-righteousness is alive and well today. And I'm not even referring to people outside of the church. I'm talking about the people on the inside. I'm talking about people that, 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 that profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, but inside of them, selfish, self, self-righteousness is alive and well. There are Christians all around us who think they are God's gift to the world. That they are the enlightened ones. That they, um, and if you're not at their level, then your faith is weak. Again, they may not be saying this out loud, but their message is heard loud and clear. But I want us to be careful here. We don't just want to see others who display self-righteousness and point out self-righteousness in other people's lives. The message of Jesus and something he taught is, hey, look within your heart as well. Like, watch out for the self-righteousness in your own life. Don't just look out for the people that may have self, be self-righteous. Notice that that behavior, that mentality, is probably within you as well. And if I can just be honest, I develop about opinions about people very quickly. I can believe that I'm better than this person or that person, that I'm more spiritual than this person or that person. Self-righteousness, unfortunately, is within all of us. And I'll take it to another level. It is a cancer within the church today. And Paul knows that it can wreak havoc in a community. That's why he's talking about, he's saying, don't be self-righteous. Watch out for those people that are for sure, but watch your life closely. You are free from self-righteousness. So his encouragement to this young church in Colossae and to you and to me today is to be free from it, to not give in to it, to not be lured into the notion that that righteousness is a message we have to flaunt or be victimized by. It is essential that when we read Paul's letters, we, we remember who he was. You ever thought about, like, even when you just read through his own letters, it's important for us to remember that Paul was a Pharisee. And all of the things that he's encouraging us to be from to be free from here in chapter two were things that he had lived in. It was the life that he chose as a Pharisee. But now Paul understands the gift of freedom in Christ. And his plea to us is that we would live in freedom as well. And 
to live in freedom. And, and essentially, we can only get that by being received in Christ. And I think we can do this um, if, if we lean into a relationship with Christ. If we think we can do this on our own, then we're missing the very point Paul is making here. Paul is saying that we can only experience freedom in Christ through death. In other words, we experience freedom when we die to ourselves every single day. And this, again, this was the message of Jesus, right? Remember when Jesus said, whoever wants to save their life must what? Lose it. Freedom is a firm foundation for us to stand on. It's the very place God wants you to live in. So my plea to you today is this. Would you choose freedom? Would you choose to live in freedom right now? Would you, would you live in your new redeemed self? Would you decide today that you're going to stand on what is firm, what is true, and eternal? That you will position your life on the foundations of freedom in Christ Jesus. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this message. I hope it encouraged you. I hope it challenged you. Know that I'm praying for you, praying that freedom will reign in your heart and in your soul. I'm looking forward to discussing Colossians chapter 2 with you all on Sunday. I can't wait to hear what you have been, what Jesus has been teaching you this week. I can't wait to see your faces. Um, Please let me know um, if there's anything that Jesse and I can do for you. Love you all. Talk to you soon.